1: And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews, brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM.
0: Welcome to Coach View, the show that celebrates coastal Mississippi and the people that make this such an amazing place to live, work, and play every single day. Hey, I've got a couple of things to share with you. One is from my brother in law, Dave Burge. He shared this with me. He said, I'm so old, I can remember when the only fake news was the National Enquirer. (laughs) You know I talk about this all the time. The fake news shared on Facebook and other social media platforms, boy, it's hard hard to sort through that. And as a former media guy, newspaper guy, digital media guy, um, boy, sorting through What is news you can trust versus news that is fake? It's just very difficult, even for a seasoned pro. Uh, Another friend, Dave Brandon, posted this, and I, I love it. And it really talks about, you know, the negative energy and the positive energy that might be around you. But it said this, ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the water that gets inside them. Moral of the story, don't let what is happening around you get inside you and weigh you down, especially if it's negative. That is for sure. Hey, let me bring my partner in crime Kyle Curley into the conversation. And first of all, just say good morning buddy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Well, we talked about it earlier this week, but, uh, of course, we have uh, we have Jeff Duncan coming on in the last segment who covers the Saints for NOLA.com and the times Picayune. Union. But you're headed to Jacksonville to play the music uh, in Jacksonville. Are you excited about that?
1: I am bringing the whole uh, Saints home field advantage with us to Jacksonville. I'll leave tomorrow morning. Uh,
0: get in sometime tomorrow afternoon. We'll do a run-through and then Sunday game day, and we're going to bring it. Well, I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of you. And, Thanks. you know, the Saints have been really strategic about why they selected Jacksonville. I think it's smart to bring their guy, you know, their music guy who knows how to get the team fired up with them. And I, like I always say, if the Saints win, it's because Kyle's music selection was spectacular. If they lose, it's because they had a bad game plan. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the music. Hey, hey the Kyle, before you get that. off, let me let me bring today's guest in. This is Major <clears throat> Kendall Dunn. He's the, he's a pilot with the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance uh, Squadron at, at the Air Force Reserve Hurricane Hunters at Keesler. Uh, here he's a hurricane hunter. He flies he flies airplanes into the eyes of these storms, and we're going to be talking about that here in just a second. But what I learned about you, Kendall, first of all, good morning to you. What I learned about you is that you're a big-time Saints fan.
1: Yes, sir. Season ticket holder for a long time. I uh, got pictures, you know, wearing those uh, Saints pajamas uh, from Sears and Roebuck's 100 years ago. And, uh, you know, born and raised, was there when they were, went to the Super Bowl for the uh, NFC Championship. You know, lots of tears, hugging everybody. It was a good time. So hopefully good season, get it back on track.
0: So you know Kyle's music playing, don't you?
1: Uh, absolutely. <laughs> it's a gift to be able to play music at the right
0: time. It is, it is. Kyle, you, okay, so he may try to play music, but there's no way you're going to fly an airplane into an eye storm, is there, Kyle?
1: No way, no. <laughs> no. I don't care
0: how much you tell me that plane is safe. I'm not doing it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and sometimes well, we have you know a plane what? while we're flying. So.
0: Well, we'll, uh, we'll move on and, and continue. Hey, Kyle, well, thank you for all you do for us, man. I appreciate you. You bet. You the man, Kendall man. You are you are a brave soul. You're a dedicated uh, person. We just experienced one of the, one of the more devastating hurricanes. Certainly one of the most devastating in Louisiana's history in Hurricane Ida, and we'll come back to that in just a second. But uh, you're you're a brave guy and you're committed. Um, I I look forward to hearing more about you. But you know how you doing these days, just in general?
1: Uh, pretty good. Um, you know the stress of hurricanes. I mean, here on the coast, we all went through Zeta. It just, what, eight short months ago, so it's painful. You know, it's scary uh, when the hurricanes are coming, and y- you hate it for all our friends and family in Louisiana, but, uh, you know, sometimes you're like, I'm glad we missed it, but then, you know, here on the coast, we're running gas to our families and, and seeing them come over here, so it- it's just tough times, but stresses down a little bit, so.
0: Yeah, so you're from Louisiana?
1: Uh, born and raised in the New Orleans area, grew up on the West Bank, um, moved to the coast in high school.
0: Wow. So my, my, Okay, so I live on Back Bay. Where I live on Back Bay is in your flight pattern, so you fly over my house. Gotcha. And it's really interesting. I go back with Zeta, even in Hurricane Katrina, but hurricanes that hit here, you know, we're, we're hit either on us or near us. It's really strange to see you guys. I know you're not flying out of Keesler because you relocate if we're going to take a direct hit, but it's so interesting to be in the middle of that storm and see you guys flying over my house during the storm. Yeah. Uh, what an amazing thing that is. But anyway, my next door neighbor uh, is from the West Bank. His name is Pete Vacari. He does the Vacari auctions at the uh, Coast Coliseum Deer and Cruising the Coast. He owns a bunch of uh, Dairy Queens and shopping centers, and he lives uh, down, uh, down, let's see, um, on the West Bank, outside the levee protection, I might add. And he got water, all his family members got water and you know, businesses have been disruptive. It's been a very challenging time. How, how are you guys holding up over there?
1: Um, good at my house. I live over in Long Beach, um, but my folks are in Lacombe. They're in the West Bank and uh, Marrero, My I got my nephew lives outside the levee protection, Lafitte. Um, you know, he took some damage. It's just devastating down there. So a lot, you know, a lot basically what we saw in Katrina. Um, and we all know what that felt like if you were around 16 years ago. It's just you get sick to your stomach even thinking about it because it's just it's just difficult.
0: Yeah. Well, when you saw when you saw the path of that storm, it I mean, it came right up the bayou and. It was uh, you knew that places like Lafitte. I spent the, I was the president publisher of the Times Picayune dot com, and so I spent a lot of time in Lafitte because I really wanted to understand the unique situation that existed there that was similar to a lot of other bayou communities. But you know the the levee system there needing to be built higher, etc. The reality was Lafitte took a really tough hit, but so did so many other communities down in the bayou country. One of my best friends lives in Cutoff, Louisiana, and of course, as you well know, that's just north of Homa and uh, boy the challenges that they're going through even today man like uh, nearly 500,000 people in the New Orleans region and south are without power and it's just a difficult situation I bet when you flew into that storm and you saw the trajectory of it it's got to be I mean, it's eerily strange for you to know that that it's that, that the brunt of that storm is about to hit where your family is located tell me about that
1: Yes, sir. And I, you know, I I grew up um, in that area, obviously, um, and also worked uh, for an offshore helicopter company. I flew helicopters down there for years. So, plenty of friends uh, in the Homa area, Thibodeau, Morgan City. um, And, you know, you just get sick to your stomach. And, And initially, Five to six days before the storm hit, the models were showing it Lake Charles, you know, and poor Lake Charles got hit so many times last year. So you were sick for those people. And then the models move around, but they tighten up about four days out, four and a half, five days out. And you can be assured that uh, what I've seen over the past three to four years, really paying attention to the models, um, they're pretty accurate where they're going to land within, you know, 30 miles on each side. Uh, you know, don't quote me on that, but it it appears to me to be that accurate. And then once we start flying in it, the accuracy goes out the roof. And and uh, watching the local weather, watching um, the weather channel, seeing the stuff we see. I mean, they were pretty locked on four days out. I mean, those all those spaghetti models. You had the outliers, uh, the rebels, but um, they were pretty much on track. So you were sick to your stomach knowing that, hey, it could jog 20 miles to the right and we could get a brunt of it, you know, in Bay St. Louis, Long Beach, and Gulfport. Um, But, and then when it hits and it's, you're flying those things, it's just, it's heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, I want to come back to what it was like to experience that, but let's just take a step back for a second. Um, You're in the Air Force Reserves. How did you decide you wanted to become a pilot?
1: (laughs) Um. Uh, born and raised in that New Orleans area on the West Bank, and if uh, people watch this from Marrero, Gretna, you have the Naval Air Station down there. They had jets, and I went to air shows, Blue Angels. I always wanted to do those things, and uh, school I went to, we take those aptitude tests every year, and they say, hey, look, you need to go, I don't know, eat drywall or watch paint dry. You know, that's how smart you are, but, you know, 90% of life success is uh, showing up in attitude, and I just kept showing up, um, went up the road, made it to college, um, and then when I graduated, I started asking around, and lo and behold, I got to be an Army helicopter pilot, so that's, you know, being a kid, wanting to do it, thinking it's cool, but uh, eventually, I got to pull it off.
0: You flew Blackhawks.
1: I did. I joined the Mississippi National Guard 100 years ago and uh, got to to fly Blackhawks deployed um, with the local unit out of Jackson, was in the local AVCRAD, a depot level maintenance group, uh, for years and uh, by the grace of God ran into an Air Force guy that happened to be a Blackhawk pilot as well um, and happened to be in this unit and they were looking for guys and he blazed the path. He's a um, super good guy, super smart, great pilot so I haven't achieved any of those things he has. but. Like I said, just keep showing up. But uh, I was able to go to a course and become a pilot as well, an Air Force pilot. That was already a pilot, but uh, yeah. And and it just happened to be hurricane hunters. And you grow up around here and see these C-130s, and I had no idea what we did um, until one day I was in a storm and I was like, "All right, this is now you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let's do this when we come back." when we come back, we are going to talk about, I want to know more about the teams that are located there at Keesler. sort of what the whole Hurricane Hunter squadron is all about, about the specific team that you fly with uh, a lot of brave souls, man, you know, why do you always fly at night I know that's not always the case, but that's just it strange like that you fly at night so anyway, we'll come back and we're going to explore all that with Major Kendall Dunn a, a Hurricane Hunter pilot, when we come back, we'll see you after this break Coast View on Supertalk
1: 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allantoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1.
0: Welcome back to Coast You have Major Kendall Dunn. He's a pilot for the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron at Keesler. He's with the Air Force Reserve Hurricane Hunters. He's flown into 25 storms and 70 more than 70 eye wall penetrations, and we're going to get into a lot of that here in just a second. But um, but you guys have a you have groups you have various teams. I think there are five members of the of your crew. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, At a minimum, yes, sir, five crews.
0: And how many different crews are there?
1: Yeah, so uh, what people don't realize, um, just to give you some background knowledge, um, basically we have a handshake agreement with the National Hurricane Center. You know, they're basically the customer. We're the provider, and they say, hey, this is what we need. So we have this agreement that we could fly three storms at any given time. So we're talking Hawaii, uh, hitting Florida, uh, hitting California you know just to give you a suggestion um, you know give you a scenario there um, so basically we got to have all those crews so we have ten airplanes and we have to man all those planes so we actually have ten full-time crews here so, so a minimum crew would be two pilots a navigator a weather officer and a load master uh, son drop operator piece of equipment we drop out the back
0: Wow that's, that's and, then incredible. The preser-
1: and then we have reservists that'll come in and backfill. Basically, our full time guys get us out the door, and then we start depending on reservists to start showing up, you know, uh, tell their jobs, hey, I'm going to go on a military leave status. I need to go fly these hurricanes. So, and most employers understand.
0: So, what's interesting to me is that we're not only talking about down in the Caribbean, we're not talking about just in the Gulf of Mexico, but I think about, for example, Hurricane. Larry, this long track storm out in the middle of the Atlantic that is going just going to brush uh, Bermuda. It's causing huge swells and and uh, undertow problems all over the East Coast. But you guys fly into Hurricane Larry.
1: Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, you can basically think about our mission. Um, you know, we're, we're basically trying to prevent loss of life. So as, as long as people pay attention in our immediate area, I mean, what the plane can reach. You know, obviously, Hawaii is one of ours. So, uh, you know, we'll jump to California and then go to Hawaii and start flying storms. But then you talk about Mexico and Nicaragua and, and Cuba and all the way back around to uh, Bermuda. You know, we want to get information for those folks as well. Um, I mean, obviously, Bermuda's not going to be able to um, evacuate, but at least they know how strong it's going to be, how much they need to do, and hunker down. But you're exactly right. We have uh, three planes right now, crews flying out of uh, Saint Croix and then returning back to Saint Croix, hitting Larry. But there's some very long flights to get into the to the eye and get that information.
0: Well, you you talked about this <clears throat> that that the Hurricane Center has gotten so much better at track, and they have. I mean, if you look at the changes that have been made to the models and to their approach, you know, the Hurricane Center is in a unique spot because they take the all the, whether it's the GFS or European or any of the other models, they bring them all together, and then they bring their expert experience to it. And what people, some people may not realize, is that a lot of the data that's going into their analysis are going into the each, each of the models that are that they're looking at. A lot of that data, once you start flying and other other uh, uh, the National <clears throat> Weather Services start flying, <clears throat> that <clears throat> that data feeds into this to make things more accurate. As it relates to Hurricane Ida, what's really unique about Hurricane Ida is that the models were in incredible alignment about this storm long before it even formed. And then as it was beginning to form, as it was just an invest, you already saw pretty stark language coming from the Hurricane Center because they knew once this thing started to get into the Gulf of Mexico, the conditions were extremely uh, conducive to formation. So you guys guys also were on go early on, knowing that your mission was going to get going to get teed up uh, because the situation in the Gulf was about as about as fertile as you can possibly get. That's essentially what you all saw, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we get tasked to basically call it tasking hurricane centers like, hey, we want to go look at this development. Um, you know, we brief kids groups and all that kind of stuff all the time. Basically, satellites. You know, they look great, but until you get into the hurricane, somebody like us, with our weather officers in the back, um, experiencing it, a lot of eye stuff, looking out the window, mm-hmm. um, seeing what we see on a sea surface. So you're looking at that development, and we're basically saying, hey, it's not ready yet. Um, let's not put this information into the model. They'll still put it in the model, but it's like not a starting point, basically. But you're exactly right. This thing was on the other side of Cuba, Um, heavy rainstorm, small depression at that time. And uh, we already knew if it got across Cuba, I mean, it was going to develop it. Like you said, it was fertile ground. Um, It was ready to go. Uh, And it did.
0: So kiddo, you know what the what's interesting though is technology has really enabled you guys to do a better job as hurricane hunters penetrating the storm. It's enabled the National Hurricane Center to do better, NOAA. Everybody is aligned around the anal- analytics around the data and how to really improve the model so that we can have a better understanding of where it's going. We're even getting slightly better on on uh, on strength, even though they admit that strength is still something that they they have to do a little bit of uh, you know just put experience to it to say the models say this this is what we really think is going to happen and this in the case of Ida the models performed pretty well but what's interesting as a as a layman I'm I'm kind of a tropical weather nerd myself and one of the interesting things is that we can actually track you guys so I I watch when you take off from Keesler or wherever you've relocated to. We can watch you. We can literally track you with the wind barbs on the airplane as you're flying. As you fly into it, we watch these wind barbs. We can see when you found the center um, we can say, wait a minute. They found that this has actually has a closed eye, which is the thing you guys are looking for. So we can begin to get designation. It it would it will move it from just being a potential tropical storm to something that is now they know where the defined center is going to be. Then you can start to gather data around that, as, as so to speak. But are you aware that so many people, people you know, like myself, track you in that way?
1: Yeah. Every now and then. Um so, what people don't realize, what we do specifically of anything else is find the center of the storm. If you imagine a hurricane is an overgrown tornado. So, we literally, when I started doing this mission eight years ago or so, I, I didn't realize that we get into the eye and then we literally cross that zero wind. And you'll see our on our equipment, the wind barbs, go to zero and then pick up as we start getting closer to the eyewall and, you know, get up to hundred miles an hour, whatever it is. But, uh, that's basically what we do. But yeah, every now and then, um, we'll have to make a turn or, uh, something's happened and you're like, yep, somebody's going to see that on the, on the, on the Google, you know, <laughs> uh, or, you know, we'll make fun of each other. It's like, Oh, what were you doing here? What did you do? You know, you know uh, we had a problem. My microwave feel so got too hot or something.
0: Let's know. fast forward. Uh, the storm reaches reaches major status, which I expected it to. And then, you know, we've got a, a near category five storm and it's it's continuing to to strengthen. I mean, a lot of thought was that it actually might reach it. it got just at the edge of it. And you're still flying in this thing. Tell me about that. Tell me about flying into a category four storm right there on Louisiana's coast.
1: And i tell you, in this one specifically, um, We actually moved all the planes to San Antonio, so we flew our missions out of San Antonio, and and basically you got a plane coming out of the storm as uh, another plane's going in, you're actually crossing your buddies, talking to each other on the radio. Um, But know when you're flying out to the storm and it's just a couple of hundred miles offshore, so, you know, it's at night. So you actually, as you're down at 10,000 feet to fly through it, you could see the lights of the coast. I could see the lights at Venice, you know, Marina, Morgan City. You could see the lights all the way back to Keesler and you're in the coast and you realize how close this thing is. If it, you know, put a lot of trust in these models. I mean, hardly anyone on the coast yeah. evacuated when this thing is just a couple hundred miles off because we trust the models. And, you know, it makes you sick. I called my nephew from the plane and he was in Lafitte. And I'm like, listen, buddy, I'm listening to WWL because we can listen to AM radio. And I'm like, they're saying this thing is unsurvivable. You need to leave. So he did. He went on the other side to his dad's house of the uh, of the, re- the sea walls, basically uh, flood walls. Um, but you're flying it and you're looking and you're like, man. And the first time we went through, it was a it was a cat two. And by the time we would fly a big X pattern, by the time we came through, I saw 140 140 knots going through the eye wall. And that doesn't mean that's necessarily at the surface. Yes, flight
0: level, right? Flight
1: level, yeah. correct. But yeah. it was pretty close. Yeah. Our instruments were reading, you know, close to 130. So it's just it's heartbreaking because you realize that people stayed. And some people couldn't get out because it happened so fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had to really be paying attention. I was, I was basically Paul Revere in this storm five days out just telling all my people, hey, start paying attention because, you know, we're worn out with COVID and it's the end of the summer, holiday weekends coming up, and sometimes you just happen to need a guy like me that was paying attention, like, hey, this one's going to be bad, you might want to go get gas, you know, so... uh,
0: You can't separate the human from the pilot. I mean, the pilot's still human, you still got loved ones and you still... You're doing what you do to make a difference. You're doing what you're doing to get people warned so they right. know to get out. So let me, we're getting close to the end of this segment, but uh, I'm curious about the turbulence that you feel going into a, a Category 4 storm.
1: Yes, sir. No. So, yeah. yeah. We always uh, tell people it's like a 200 mile an hour car wash. Um, My first flight ever into a storm, we actually went through a mesocyclone, which is an airborne tornado. Um, I'm looking over at the other pilot flying and he's putting all these controls in and the plane's not reacting. And I'm like, what's going on? But anyway, that that was his first mesocyclone to go to go through as well. But, um, you know, it it depends. Uh, Tropical storms are worse when you get that fully developed storm that 130, 140 on the knots, the wind coming out of one direction, the plane just gets into it. And the plane doesn't know necessarily, but I'm gonna tell you what, you know, because you could feel the pressure, the force on the controls, you know, you're trying to keep it steady. The amount of water that's airborne, you can't even fathom. The first, my first flight daytime through an eye wall, I thought we were underwater. I was like, I didn't know we could be a submarine. And you know, and the engines need air to burn, right? And you're like, how much can this handle? Um, <laughs> but then you pop out in the middle of the storm and you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. It's you scary.
0: Know? It's so scary. Pick, it's so scary. It hey, be. listen, we're going to... Okay, you're a great spokesman and uh, I've really enjoyed our visit. I wish we would have taken a whole hour. We have Jeff Duncan from, from NOLA.com coming on the second segment, but we're going to have you back on in a couple of weeks. I'm sure there's going to be some more action. We see the models like in September later in september yep, maybe in, even into october we're going to have some action so we'll stay in touch with you major kendall dunn it's been a pleasure to meet you appreciate it ricky good meeting you it's been my pleasure have a great Listen day live or on we'll demand and watch episodes of coast view on
1: your laptop desktop or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgolfcoast.com
0: a supertalk mississippi <laughs> media production